Good morning. Good morning. I wanted to go, go over a couple quick announcements. If you've noticed, we've got this nice bike right up here. A little dirty. It's been sitting in the pavilion for a while. Last summer, or maybe the summer before that, we had a garage sale, and there was a lot of stuff left over, and we were like wondering what to do with it. Uh, I, yesterday, I moved everything out of the pavilion in that storage center and just put it out in the pavilion. What I'd like you guys to do is to go through that and take anything you want from there uh, and just get rid of that stuff there. So if you want to go through there, there are like three boxes of DVDs. There are some old monitors. There's a PlayStation 2. Uh, this bike will be back there. I'm going to put it by the front door so that when you leave, you remember, oh, yeah, go back by the pavilion. Don't drive your car back there because it's wet. And don't steal our the thing where we burn stuff in that big orange ceramic pot. Yeah, that's not, not some of the stuff you stay at, but anything else. There's knickknacks. There are serving dishes. There's paintings. There's toys. You name it. It's back there. So if you would do us a favor and go back there and just take anything you want and get rid of it. And then if there's any people with a pickup truck, maybe Monday, Tuesday, if you want to come back and just grab anything else that's left and take it to Goodwill for us or take it to somebody that you know needs it, we would really appreciate that stuff to just be gone. So that's what we're asking, all right? So make sure you take a look at that stuff after church, if you will, and grab anything that you want. Uh, the other thing is we are looking forward to getting back to Children's Church here soon. We need teachers for that. We need people for the nursery, too, as well. So if you are interested in being a part of that, I really need to hear from you soon. We have a couple people that have been lined up, but if you're willing to serve in either of those areas, I'd appreciate you seeing me and just letting me know, hey, I'd be willing to teach and, and be a part of that. All right? Adria, if you'd come up. Adria's going to take over announcements. Last two things I, I want to say. Welcome back, Dawn. We're glad you're, you're feeling better and here worshiping with us today. Praise God for that, right? And then the last announcement is um, kind of sad. Angie Vesterman passed away. Just recently, I'm going to be doing her funeral on Tuesday, and uh, we want to remember to lift up her daughters and the family uh, as they struggle to, to deal with it. She, she's 38 years old, right? 38 years old and, and passed. So let's, let's be the church that reaches out to them. I know we haven't seen them in a long time, but let's be the church that reaches out to them. If you want to come to the funeral, it's Tuesday at noon. It's the funeral home on Myrtle Avenue. I forget the new name of it. Um, Hanneman? Is that where Coker's used to be? Yes. Okay. All right. So it's going to be there on Tuesday. But All right. Adrian? Can you hear? Is it working? Good morning. I actually have props. Look at this. <laughs> There's a couple of things I wanted to um, remind everybody out. Some, so remind everybody of some great ways to minister. Um, we have the shoebox. This is coming up. If you don't know what it is, um, there's a little pamphlet that describes um, what they ask for you to put in there. They even have, like, ages, boy, girl, and ideas. Um, and also they ask for a $9 donation for each box so that they can cover the cost of shipping. And this isn't just about a box of toys. This is about getting into places where Christianity you know, it's not really widely accepted, which I think is crazy. But anyways, um, we can get in there. We can touch the lives of these children with the gospel. We can save not just 
lives but souls. I mean, this is a way that Christianity can get in there, get the gospel to these children, and express love to them. Toys, you know, some kids don't get a lot of toys. They don't know what Christmas is about. They don't know what it's like to get gifts from a stranger. So this is just a great opportunity for you to give and touch little lives. And then, something near and dear to my heart, we have the change of life jar. Um, I just want to point out how much room we have left in there. <laughs> That's a lot of room. I mean, we, there, we can fit a lot of green in there. Um, this is going to be probably presented sometime close to uh, Thanksgiving. And this is a way you can give anonymously, but yet see your give, giving your love touch somebody's life and see it in action. It's a great way to get kids involved, you know, have them put their little pocket change in there and uh, say, look what we're doing for these people. This is what we're called to do, is to love others. And, you know, some of us don't bake. Some of us, you know, don't know what to do. And this is the best way to touch someone's life right here. And this has been a hard year, very hard year. Um, So please, I ask that if we could just fill that up to overflowing, that would be awesome. Also, coming up very soon, next Saturday, we have the women's group meeting. I don't know if any of you are excited. I'm totally so stoked about that. Uh, If you are planning on being there next Saturday, could you please contact or see Alice? Uh, She would appreciate it. Um, And I think that's all the announcements for me to give right now. Uh, Pastor James asked me to pray over the service. So if you could just pray with me, please. Father, we ask that you just be present in our hearts, that our minds be calm and focused on you, that the Holy Spirit move in this place and remind us why we're here. We're not here because of a religion. We're not here to be showy or because we look good. We're here to serve you. We're here because you are the truth, that you made us Because you wanted a relationship. You made us to live in a perfect and beautiful world. And our sins separated us from you. And we go so far following our flesh. And there's nothing we can do to be good and moral in your eyes. And that's why you sent your son. Who died for us. Who suffered for us. Who paid the price of our sin. So that we can approach you cleansed of the sin and you see the righteousness of your son imputed into us because there was nothing we could do and because of that we can have a relationship again with you there's no other religion that offers this there's nothing in this world that can offer us that peace that relationship with you that love that we can be adopted as sons and daughters and call you Father, Abba. Thank you, Father. And I pray that this truth will touch every heart in this room. I pray that that truth will enlighten their love to give and care for one another, as Jesus has commanded for us to love one another. To even give someone a cup of water is the same as giving Jesus a cup of water. Just loving, simple gestures is like you're serving Jesus himself, because he is in us every single one of us.
please bless this service and bless the words of our dear pastor and our worship team. Let it touch our hearts and fill us with joy for the rest of the week. In your name, amen. Do you want me to take this back? Okay, don't knock it down. It's real glass.
You are 
seated. Tell you what, my brain was just scattered before the praise team got up there and then worshiping God just always realigns yourself to what's important and what what needs to be the focus and I, I hope you can get into it. I'm done. You know, I'm done. That was, that was great. I heard from God. Um, if we want to leave, that's, that's good. I am going to move this because I might get a little Pentecostal today and end up necking that down. Just kidding. So this is the election sermon. How many of you guys are excited about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you won't be. Trust me, afterwards you won't be. Uh, but this is this is the direction that God is God is leading. And um, if I step on some toes, so be it. Right? Let's let God's word speak to us, though, and guide us, and and. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm done with American Christianity. 
I'm done with what it has become and where it's taken us. I, I want to be a part of a church that, that uh, dies to ourselves and just lives for him. And I hope you do too. And I hope, I hope that's the direction that God leads us and we follow. Uh, but we're going to be in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Last week we did 5 through 8. That's what we, we covered I'm sorry, five through nine. Today we're going to be starting at verse nine, and, and really three words will be the sermon today. Three words, your kingdom come. And those are huge words, and I hope we get the implication. I hope the Holy Spirit speaks to us and directs us. So like I said, we're in the sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Of course, this is a great time to be in prayer. Any time is a great time to be in prayer. But this is a pivotal time, right? We have an election, very important election coming up. Whoever goes into the White House, whoever is elected to Congress, uh, at the local levels, it's important, right? So we want to be prayer, and we want to be in prayer, and we want to be lifting this time up. It's also an important time for our church, right? What is the direction of our church going to be? Who is going to to lead us? We want to be praying about that as well. So I thought this would be the, the perfect time to do this, this series, and it lines up today as the perfect time because it's right before election to talk about your kingdom come. So would you stand with me? Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin at verse 9. This is Jesus teaching a model on prayer. This is not Jesus teaching something to recite. This is Jesus teaching a model to teach us how to pray. So beginning at verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you would just be all over this service. Lord, we already feel your presence, Lord, and I pray that that would continue. I pray that you would speak to us through your words and that all we would hear would be you. Father, would you soften our hearts? Would you open our ears and our eyes? Would you help us to become the church that you've called us to become? Would you help us to become that light in the darkness, a city on a hill, Lord, would you help us to become part of the upside-down kingdom, the kingdom that does not make sense. Lord, we just ask you. Father, I pray that you are glorified today. I pray that you would just transform us to look more like you and that we'd be your ambassadors. Lord, in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So last week we started off and we talked about the fact that God is our Father, right? That Jesus in the Lord's Prayer gives us permission. 
he invites us to actually address God as our Father. And we talked about what a huge concept that was. And that's a concept that we need to get, we need to understand, because it changes everything, right? The word for Father that Jesus uses is Abba, and it is this close, intimate relationship word. The people that would have heard this in Jesus' time, the Jewish people, they would have been shocked. They would have been uncomfortable hearing that when Jesus said that. That's not how we learn to address God. That's not how we should address God. And yet Jesus says, this is how you should pray, our Father, our Father. And so we need to come to God as a child. As a child would come to a loving trusted and faithful father. Jesus has been speaking to me. God has been speaking to me here lately, not to rush into prayer. There's so many times that I have my prayers that I normally pray and I don't even give it a second thought who I'm talking to. So when you pray, would you just slow down? Give it a minute to think about who you're talking to, who you're addressing and what that relationship means to you. Our, our natural tendency when we pray is to not approach it as a relationship, as being relational, but instead to approach prayer as a business transaction, right? A business relationship. Here's what I'm going to do for you, God, and here's what I'm expecting that you do for me. I'm going to work, and you're going to give me the paycheck. That's what we expect. And we talked about that. You know you have this type of relationship with God, if when God does not answer your prayer, you get mad at him. Or maybe you quit. Or maybe you just tune out and quit praying. That's how you can know if you have a transaction, a business transaction type relationship with him. When it's relational though, we know who we're addressing. And we know that we can trust God's answer because he is a loving father. He might not give us what we want, but we know a father loves us and will do what's right. And so we can trust him with that. Then we talked about how we're supposed to pray. Our father in heaven, heaven gives us a perspective. That's what we said, right? Heaven gives us a perspective. Not only is God a loving father, but he is also in heaven. Heaven is a realm that is outside of our time and, and space. Scripture tells us that it is eternal. Scripture tells us that God is eternal, that God is not stuck in this moment in time, but he is able to see all of time. The Bible says he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He can see the future, right? That's how we have the book of Revelation. 2,000 years ago, the book was written. God revealed it to John. He wrote it down, and we're still looking at it and seeing how that prophecy is being fulfilled. We have other books like Daniel that also you can see history laid out. How did that happen? It's because God can see everything all at once. And so we trust that God sees the big picture. He knows what's gonna happen. And we can praise him for that. And so he answers our prayer knowing the big picture with that in mind, right? Might not be something that we want, but he sees what the big picture is. So that's another reason that we, we trust him. Then we come to the part where he teaches us to say, hallowed be your name. 
The Father is supposed to be the supreme focus of our life. It has to come first. He has to come first. It frames everything else in prayer. How do we know if God is first and foremost in our life? How do we know if God is the focus of our life in prayer? Look at the frequency of your prayer. Right? How often are you praying? When are you praying? If somebody else is hallowed, if something else is hallowed above God, you will probably only pray when that thing is in jeopardy. For most people, we hallow ourselves above God. And so our prayer life is really only about when we get into trouble. If we're in trouble, then we start praying. As soon as that trouble goes away, we stop praying. As soon as more trouble comes back, we start praying. What does the frequency of your prayer life look like? God can become like a fire hydrant that we just turn on and off when we need it. When there's a fire, turn it on. When there's no fire, we don't need it, and we turn it off. If God is hallowed, though, if he is worshipped, if he is adored, we will go to him with everything. And we will spend time regularly and pray often. So what does your prayer life say about who you are hallowing, who is hallowed? So the prayer begins, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I said this week we're going to focus on the next three words, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Now when Jesus prays this prayer and says these three words, the listeners at this time would hear these three words very differently than we do now. We tend to hear this as spiritual or religious language, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But the people in Jesus' time would hear this as very political language. We're talking politics here. They're thinking the Jewish kingdom, the Jewish nation, which represented God, right? So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, what they're hearing is, let the nation of Israel be restored. Let the kingdom of God be restored, reestablished. Remember the point that we're, we're hearing this. Israel has been attacked and defeated in the past. They are now occupied by the Roman army, by the Romans. They have been praying for hundreds of years, asking for God to free them, to deliver them. They've heard about this Messiah that's coming. But in these, these hundreds of years that they've been praying, God has been silent. God has been silent for centuries. But they know in the back of their heads, they've heard about the Messiah. And they're hoping, they're hoping the Messiah will come and free them from the Romans and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. So they hear this as political, about reestablishing the nation, not just because of the language, but because of the location that this is given. Jesus is teaching this lesson. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount in a previous week. But the Sermon on the Mount was taught in the mountains above the Sea of Galilee, which is significant because this is where the revolutionaries would meet and reach the people and talk to the people. It's where the revolutionaries would hide out. 
There were leaders before Jesus that came and they would try to rally the people with some kind of revolutionary message, typically focused on overcoming the Romans, overthrowing the Roman government. And then they would hide in the very place that Jesus is speaking and giving this message in the mountains above the Sea of Galilee. So this is the place for revolutionary messages. And the people are hearing this new leader that has both the favor of God and men. And he is teaching them to pray for God's kingdom to come. It would be different if Jesus was teaching this in a synagogue, right? Or in the temple. But no, he teaches in a place that revolutions start. The people have seen revolutions start in the past, or maybe they've heard about revolutions or rebellions, times when the people would rise up and take on the Roman government, take on Roman occupation. And typically it would end with dozens or maybe thousands of Jewish people killed, crucified. But could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah that was foretold that would free his people? They were certain that the Messiah would come and put an end to the, na- the nation of Israel's mis- misery. They were sure the Messiah was going to come and take some sort of political office and establish himself as king. So immediately, as soon as they hear this leader, this Jesus talking, as soon as they hear him talking about the kingdom, you would see these political parties trying to draw him to their side. I want to go through some of these factions, and maybe you'll see some modern day parallels that you can draw. I'm gonna tell you up front, all right? The first three I see myself in. My political ideology, some, some things, some elements of that, I see that in myself. First, there were the zealots. And the zealots were a group of people who believed that the right thing to do was to overflow, overthrow the Roman government by force, by any means necessary. That included violence. And it wouldn't be unusual for a zealot to hide a knife in his cloak and hide out in the crowd and then stab a Roman soldier and then just run away and hide. They would justify violence by saying, we're just doing to them what they're doing to us. All right, so I said it myself in these things. I'm not the type of person that wants to go kill somebody. I've thought about it. You know, sometimes I really don't like that other side, all right, of the political aisle but I'm not talking about that. But don't you want to, aren't you tired of it? Aren't you tired of the other side? Don't you want to do back to them what they're doing to us? Doesn't that govern what we do? We're sick of it. We're tired of being abused and killed. It's time to fight back. That's what they would say. They kill us, we kill them. They fight us, we fight them. Stand up for yourselves. We're tired of being kicked around and we're going to hit back. This is an easy path to justify. And we see it happening in our day today, don't we? Don't we see it when police officers are are shot and killed? They're killing us. Let's kill them, right? Isn't that our attitude? 
They're taking away our rights. They're wronging us. Let's pay them back. These were the zealots. And the zealots thought the Messiah would be on their side because they were the most passionate. They were the most committed. They were looking for a Messiah that would come wielding a sword and would declare victory on the battlefield. Another political party of that day were the Essenes. And they had a much different approach. They would withdraw. And they saw the culture as being so corrupt. They saw the Roman government as being so powerful that the right response of God's people would just be to withdraw and not have anything to do with it. Just to withdraw from it completely. And I've been there. So sick of what's going on. I just want to say, I don't have anything to do with it. Let it all go to heck, right? I'm just going to take care of my family and take care of what's important. And they thought the Messiah would be on their side, that the Messiah would come and they would see how they had withdrawn, that they had separated themselves, that they had distanced themselves from all this garbage, and they would be rewarded with positions of power. Then there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought that the way to turn things around politically would be to legislate everything. They're going to make laws. And the reason that God was not freeing them because it was because there was all this sin in their land. There were tax collectors, right? There were prostitutes. There were other sinners. Remember when the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and they said, Moses' law requires that she be stoned. And we know what happened there. If people would just follow the law, God would save them. I've been there. Here's the big thing, though. Here's the problem with the pharisaical idea, is they think that everything hinges on somebody being changed from the outside in. They think that's where it's at. And they were going to force it onto the culture by making people behave in a certain way. Finally, there were the Sadducees, and these were the liberals, right? They would soften the law of Moses. They would interpret scripture so that it didn't make anybody mad. They would change it. They didn't want to cause any problems culturally, politically. They could get along with everybody. But they didn't stand for anything. They were hoping that the Messiah would be on their side because they would offer the quickest pathway to power. They were in good terms with the government, with the Roman leaders, comparatively at least. And so the Messiah would want to establish that through them it'd be the easiest path to hold political power. So you have all these different types of groups trying to pull Jesus onto their side. Throughout his ministry, we see this time and time again. In fact, in John chapter 6, the people are so insistent that Jesus addressed the problems through political pathways that they're going to make him king by force. Whether he wants it or not, that's the plan. Jesus, you're going to be king. And they're going to force him, whether he wants it or not. And what does Jesus do? He just withdraws. They wanted him to be king. And they were frustrated. 
They were frustrated that Jesus did not connect, connect himself to any of the political ideologies, any of the political factions of the day. I really think this is the reason that Jesus betrayed him. Because he thought Jesus wouldn't step up. And he was trying to force his hand with this. Jesus almost seemed like he was unaware of the political problems of the day. Jesus, we're slaves to Rome. The taxes are too high. It seems that he, he barely even addresses these things. He was living at a time when his own people were facing all kinds of injustice. But yet he refuses and resisted getting into their politics. Here's the thing. It's not to say that Jesus was not political. And please don't take this, and I'll explain it more. He was just political in a different way. All right? He had a different approach. Instead of assuming a position of power, the Bible talks about that he came to be a servant to all. That's hard. That's un-American. That's not something I want to be or do. But are we followers of Christ? If we are, that's what we're called to do. Jesus ushers in a kingdom where the last are first, right? And the first are last. He ushers in a kingdom where the greatest will be the servant of all. And that's difficult for us because we just assume, as most people assume, that when you pray kingdom come, we're talking about political power. Establish your kingdom, God. Establish your kingdom. If we can just get the right person in the White House, if we can get our party to control Congress, if we just have enough political power, everything will be okay. We can turn this country around. That's the way earthly kingdoms operate. That's not the way the heavenly kingdom, that's not the economy that the heavenly kingdom operates by. If it was, Jesus would have become king. If it was, Jesus would have set up his disciples to be political leaders. But he didn't. So a great example of this, right, is when he begins a sermon. We talked about this before. Jesus is ushering in an upside-down kingdom. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He doesn't say, blessed are the powerful, blessed are the successful. He says, blessed are those who recognize their dependence on God, right? Now, you can be powerful and you can be successful and still be poor in spirit. You can still recognize your dependence on God. Our tendency, though, is to think that in order to establish a kingdom, we need power, though. And that's where the problem is. When you study church history, you'll notice something remarkable. What you see is whenever the kingdom of God has advanced dramatically, whenever it has exploded and grown, it's been a time and place in history when it did not enjoy political power. It was culturally unpopular. The times and places where Christianity is persecuted and popular, those are the times that it blows up. Those are the times that it grows. The opposite is true too. I'm reading a book 
by Philip Yancey called The Jesus I Never Knew. And he explains it this way. Regardless of the merits of a given political issue, whether it's a pro-life lobby on the right or a justice lobby on the left, Yancey says political movements, and here's what I want you to catch. Political movements risk pulling onto themselves the mantle of power. That's what we got to be careful with. How do we, how do we establish the, the view of being pro-life? We should be pro-life, right? We should be all about pro-life. But if we take on the mantle of power, that's when we need to be careful. doesn't say that political movements are wrong, right? Like I said, we should be pro-life. We should be pro-justice. The anti-slavery movement started in the church. It was abolitionists that were preaching from the pulpit talking about the wrongs of slavery. And you know what church people said? Get out of here. That doesn't belong in church. Politics don't belong in church. Politics do belong in church. We should be speaking to the issues. And I might seem like I'm being a hypocrite here, but we should be speaking to the issues. We should be addressing them. No, we don't keep politics out of the church. The thing I want us to realize, though, it's not about power. It's about changed lives. And sometimes we Christians focus a little bit too much on power. And we put all our effort into power when it's really the gospel. Let me say, we should be involved in politics. Every one of us should be involved in politics. We We just need to be aware that there is a tendency in politics to pull on the mantle of power, to try to get in a position of power. We think power is the key. Why is this an issue? Why is the position of power an issue? It's because power smothers love. Power smothers love. Let me tell you, be involved in politics, right? Be involved in politics. Be involved in politics on Facebook, all right? But do it with love. Do it with the right reasons, the right motivations. We are the people, right? We have an amazing ability in this nation. We are the people. We are the government. We have a responsibility to be a part of that. But it must not drive out love and humility. I see myself getting caught up in politics and getting pretty ugly, right? Changes how I see the other side. Man, I, I, seriously, I really struggle with not liking the other side, right? When I see Christians on the other side, I'm like, what are you doing? That's my thought process. Uh, and I think power will solve everything. The moment, though, that my politics drive out love and humility. The moment I don't want to have anything to do with that other side and they're the worst person in the world, that's the moment that I betray the kingdom of heaven. That's what we can't do, right? When we pray, your kingdom come, all too often we think about the power of political force. We take an outside-in approach We try and force people to comply with our standards, with our vision, with our beliefs. We go on the attack, and what happens? What happens when you're attacked? You put up walls, don't you? Right? I I will argue with people when I know I'm wrong, 
just because they're coming against me. They could be perfectly right and I will argue with them because that's human nature. That's our response. We gotta realize that. We're not gonna change people by attacking people. We have to take a different approach. But that's where we're at today, right? Each side attacks the other side. And we just further separate. What we're challenged to do as people of the kingdom of God is to stand up for God's truth, right? We stand up for God's truth. We don't compromise God's truth. We don't compromise what the Bible would teach us. But we have a heart motivated by love. We're called to love, we're called to serve, we're called to have a spirit of humility, and we're called to understand that there is an enemy, a real enemy, right? And this enemy is not flesh and blood. People that we see as our enemies are really victims of the true enemy's lies. Victims of having a carnal heart. And there's one solution, and it's not political power. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. So Jesus taught us that the kingdom of God advances when people's hearts and their minds are changed. That's why he started the church. That's why he did not start a political party. What are we focused on? What's our first focus? We want to, as a nation, honor God with the laws that we pass, right? We want to honor God with the laws that we pass. When I look at what I support and what I don't support, I compare everything with the word of God. When I look at the people that I vote for, I compare everything with the word of God. What does that person stand for? How does that align with the scriptures? I don't want to support somebody that's going to take us in a different direction. Right? We want to honor God with the people that we put into office. But we also want to understand at the same time that it's not all about that. It's not all dependent on who's in the office. Former President Franklin Roosevelt put it this way. He said, I seriously doubt it if there's a problem, political or economic, that will not melt before the fire of a spiritual awakening. And so that's what we pray for. During the season, that's what we pray for. We pray for revival. That's the kind of awakening that God asks for. That's the kind of awakening that God wants, that he would awaken our our minds and our hearts. That's where we put our hope. That's where we put our focus. That's where we put our efforts. We don't put our hope in Washington, D.C., Right? We put our hope in heaven. We don't put our hope in the Constitution. We put our hope in Scripture. We put our hope in Jesus. And then we pray, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your upside down kingdom come. Lord, we will be a part of that. We will live that. This is a prayer of commitment. This is a prayer of radical commitment to do life different 
than everybody else around us. We talked about this passage before, this, this verse I want to bring up. There's a, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus, what it talks, Jesus talks about what it looks like to live out the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about living out the kingdom of heaven. But he addresses, he addresses this unjust law where Roman soldiers could tell a Jew, hey, you carry my stuff for a mile. You carry my gear for a mile. It didn't matter what that Jewish person was doing. They had to drop what they were doing and pick up the Roman soldier's gear and take it and walk it for a mile. And then they could drop it and go back home. Could you imagine a person that you hate coming up to you and say, saying, carry my stuff for a mile? And you had to do it. You had to do it. The person that you hate You had to serve them for a mile. That's not fair, right? It's not fair. That's unjust. I mean, what about these people's rights? Jesus, what should we do? I mean, this rule is messing with our lives. Could you imagine how that would mess with your life if you were a business owner and you're doing your business and all of a sudden somebody comes up and says, hey, take my stuff for a mile. And you had to say, hey, I got to close down the store here. I'll be back in, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour. Can you imagine how that would just mess with everything? Can you imagine somebody coming up to your kid and saying, hey, I want your kid to carry my stuff for a mile? Heck no. Right? I'm going to fight that. It's inconvenient. It inconveniences our family. It inconveniences our job. And it's for our enemy. Jesus, we got to do something about this. What should we do? Just like, yeah, you're right. We do need to do something about it. We need to make a change. Let's, just, let's do this. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with them too. What? Right? What? That's not the leader that I want. The leader I want is saying, whoop that dude, you know? Let's fight it. Let's stop it. No, Jesus, they're the enemy. Why would we do that? Jesus says, yeah, they say go one, you go two. Tell me, what would change if we started to live this out? What would change if we started to do this? This is un-American, right? You tell me the kind of impact that it would have if we pray, your kingdom come. And somebody who's making our life completely difficult, Somebody that we can't stand asks us to go a mile. And instead of going a mile, we go two miles. We go an extra mile. An extra mile that we didn't have to go. What would happen if we just started humbly serving people? That's when the kingdom of God gets ushered in. Because that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus did. That's the example that he set for us. Do you remember when he washes the person's feet that would betray him? This is how the church changed Rome. There's a book called The Rise of Christianity by sociologist Robert Stark. First half of the book is great. The second half, you can skip. But he talks about this fledgling Jesus movement that changed the world. And he said, the first 
300 years of Christianity, Christians were the minority. The minority. They had no rights. They couldn't vote. And yet they changed the world. People like the Emperor Nero falsely blamed them for stuff. Went about executing them, killing them, persecuting them. Tried to destroy them. And yet the kingdom of God just exploded. Exploded. How did they do that? They stood in stark contrast to the world around them. Do we stand in stark contrast to the world around us or do we just look like everybody else? Are we mad? Are we angry? Just like everybody else. Everybody else says power. They had none. They had no power, no political power. So they served and they loved. You had the early church going out into the woods where people would leave their deformed children to die. And you had the church picking up these kids and bringing them back and raising them and loving them and caring for them. The church opened their arms to unwanted children. They also took care of the widows and the sick when nobody else would do that. When there was no family to take care of these people, the church sacrificed their time and their money and cared for these people. While others people fled in cities because of plagues that were happening, when the doctors and the medical workers fled from the people that were dealing with the plague, the Christians stayed and cared for people and served them and loved them. When everybody else didn't value women, the church valued and accepted and allowed women to participate in worship. The outcasts of society, the ones nobody cared for, the church loved. And that's how they changed a world. That's how the kingdom of God was brought. And that's what we're called to do. And that's what we're called to be a part of. And that's what we're called to focus in on. It wasn't by force. It wasn't by political means, but by serving and love. What will change our community? It's not laws. Not that they're bad. It's about serving, though. It's about sacrificing. All in the name of love. Would you stand with me? When you start praying your kingdom come... That means you love your enemies. I was thinking about this. There is a person I do not like in my life, and I'm not going to tell you from where they're from or anything like that. But man, this really got me. And I started to pray for that person, even though I didn't want to. I sent the person a, a note because they're going through something right now. And I want God to change my heart so that I genuinely care about this person. I'm not there yet. I'd be happy this person just left. But this is somebody that God's put in my path. Who's like that in your path? Who can't you stand? Who don't you like? Who's your enemy? 
And what's God calling you to do with that person? Serve them. Love them. Second mile them. Right? Second mile. Go two miles with them. Call your kingdom come is a call of surrender. It's not motivated by selfish ambition. Instead, it's about putting others' needs ahead of yours. Your kingdom come is a prayer of surrender. God, I'm giving up my kingdom for your kingdom. I'm going to make your ways my ways. I need to die. I need to pick up my cross. I need to love. I need to serve. God, you're in charge. And if you start by praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that sets up, that makes your kingdom come possible. When you make God the priority and the focus of your life, that's when you're able to say your kingdom come. That's when you're able to surrender your ways in your life and live that out. That's why I put it in that order. And that sets up everything else in that prayer. Would you pray that? Would you begin to pray that? Would you begin to surrender your life to him? Would you be all about the kingdom of God? The upside down kingdom. The one that loves our enemies and serves our enemies. Christianity is hard. Christianity is hard, but it only works when you surrender your life, your rights. We're we're Americans. We're all about our rights. It only works when you surrender your rights. You surrender everything to God. It doesn't mean that you, you don't stand up for anything. It doesn't mean that you don't get involved politically. But it means you know that the real change that America needs are the change that comes from Jesus Christ. And you make that your focus. We're going to pray. I've got some prayer sheets out there on the counter right by the office if you want to grab one. We wanted to have a prayer time before the election. And um, Monday night I got a council meeting. Tuesday I've got a a funeral. and, And I just can't do that. But would you pray? And would you fast? Fast like we've been talking about fasting. Would you, would you try and fast the day of the election? Or maybe three days starting now before the election. Whatever you can do. Some of you might not health-wise be able to do that. Whatever you can do. If you can't fast food, fast TV, fast electronics, fast something that you love, and instead fill that time with prayer. But let's fast as a body of Christ for this coming time. Because it is pivotal. It is important. Grab a prayer sheet when you leave. There's some there. But let's pray. Father, we just, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your call. Lord, help us to get it. Help us to truly understand it. Lord, I struggle with it. I struggle against it. Everything in me says that's not the right way. Father, help me to die. Help us all to die to ourselves, though. And try to change the world as you called us to through the church, through being the body of Christ. Lord, help us to share the good news with the people that we come into contact. Help us to serve our enemies. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to pray for our enemies, even when we don't want to. 
Help us to be a part of this upside down kingdom and live it out. Let us be light. Let us reflect your light, Lord. Let us be a city on a hill. Help us to be what you've called us to be as the church. Guide us. Guide us collectively. Guide us individually. Lord, I pray that you would be calling every person in here to something, to some sort of ministry, to some person to serve and to love. Lord, and I pray that we would respond. We would respond by dying to ourselves and living for you. Lord, we pray for this election coming up. Would you put the person that would honor you into these offices, whatever they be, from from president down to the smallest office, Lord. Lord, would you help us to support the laws that honor you? Lord, would you help us to stand up for your word, for truth, but Lord, would you help us to do it with grace and love as our motivation? Father, when somebody comes against us and starts calling us names, It starts beating up on us. Father, would you help us not to respond or retaliate, but to just respond in love? Would you help us to go the second mile when we're called to go the first? Lord, let our lives bring bring glory and honor to you in everything that we do. Lord, we love you and thank you. In your name we pray, amen. You are dismissed.